0: As the Book of Mormon opens, we are introduced to the prophet Lehi. Worried about the welfare of his people, he prays and in turn is granted a grand vision of the throne of God and numerous concourses of angels. In Hebrew, this experience is called a sod, brought into the council of the gods, to be given counsel about what to do and what God intends further unfurling of God's mysteries. In return, Lehi rejoices for the things that he has seen and heard. Join us today as we talk about Sodes and the throne of God and what exactly it was that Lehi heard that caused him to rejoice in the midst of such possible turmoil. Welcome to the Hidden Treasures podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed here do not constitute official pronouncements of the Church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Heatley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. That said, let's, let's begin uh, today's class. Um, I find it interesting uh, we're now three classes in and we're going to finally get to First Nephi <laughs> it's, it's how we roll um, and there's a couple of things that I want to point out as, we're, as we start as we actually start digging into, uh, into uh, the book itself one um, there are a lot of ways to read the Book of Mormon and one of them, probably the one that has been done most often, is to just uh, try and do it in a week or uh, 90 days or something, and you're just really quickly blown through. And there's some value in, in seeing the whole picture and feeling the spirit as you're pushing to read through that. There's great value in doing that. Uh, there's a cost in, in doing it as well, and that is there, this is great depth that exists in the Book of Mormon. It would be a little bit like going to a great restaurant quickly taking little bites of everything and then moving on. (laughs) Uh, Rather than really enjoying the full depth that is the Book of Mormon. So, that's one of the things that we try and do, and we're going to spend, we're not going to get out of 1 Nephi 1 today, and I'm only going to scratch the surface of the depth uh, that's that's in the Book of Mormon. Now, one of the things that uh, I find also, when we start looking at the words, think about, think about what a miracle it is, just the words that we have in the Book of Mormon. In First Nephi, it's first written down, the, the events that are happening there in Jerusalem and then in the wilderness and the trip and stuff like that, it's first written down by Lehi. Lehi writes the whole thing down. Then Nephi is going to come behind it, and he's going to say, "I'm I'm going to do an abridgment of my father's writings." So they will have Nephi's abridgment of Lehi's words that he puts on the large plates. Then what's going to happen is almost like forty years later, the Lord's going to say, "I need you to write down this, put things on the small plates." So he's going to write stuff again. And, and he will write a second version, Nephi will, of these events. Then, 400 years later, no, 1,000 years later, uh, Mormon is going to abridge the whole thing. And he, Mormon will write his own words about all of this event. So this, this part will be contained in what was then called the Book of Lehi. Then what happens? Martin Harris, lost 116 pages and Joseph will then go back and and uh, translate uh, through Revelation and he'll go back and plug in the small plates now all of that then says And then Joseph doesn't necessarily use the plates in the way that we would picture that he would use the plates. Now he's got the plates sitting on the table covered in a handkerchief and he's got his seer stone and it's sitting in a hat so he can block out the ambient light, so he's looking inside a hat and reading to Oliver Cowdery the words that are coming across the stone. And the plates are sitting there. So all of the ways in which the the plates needed to be there in some way that we don't understand but it went through a number of iterations to make sure they got it right now so one more one more layer to this then let me put it hmm. ah it's here so what language were the plates written in well Nephi is going to say, I was taught somewhat in the learning of my father, and I'm going to make a record of the language of my father, which consists of what? The learning of the Jews, meaning what? Symbolism, stylistically. The, the Jews had a very specific way of writing. We'll talk about that in just a second. Culture. Yeah, and then it's based on their culture and uh, their context of what they understood how they expressed their words, okay? So then we're going to get that. And, but the language of these plates, the language of the large plates and probably the small plates was what? Egyptian. Egyptian. They were Egyptian. Now, um, Mormon is going to say, we have written this record according to our knowledge in characters which are called by among us. So, a thousand years later, they're gonna have changed it to reformed Egyptian being handed down and altered by us. And if our plates had been sufficiently large, large we would have written in Hebrew. But Hebrew has also been altered by us. And if we could have written in Hebrew we would have and then we wouldn't have had any imperfections. But what we had was Egyptian because you can get one small character that means a lot of things and you can do it more efficiently. So also none other people know our language. So that means that every prophet Alma, Helaman had to know whatever language they were speaking the written language and then they had to know the written, they had to, the written language of the plates. Because nobody in, in that area is going to be speaking Egyptian. But if you're going to be brought up like Moroni to one day Take possession of the plates, you're going to have to get the plate language as well as your own written language, as well as your own spoken language. Does that sort of make sense? It's kind of a complex thing. So the fact that we get it, and then the whole thing's got to come through Joseph Smith's head. As it is revealed to him about what is actually on the plates.
1: Does that mean that each of the
0: writers had to be taught? Yeah, a kid running around, you're going to one day take over the place. Now we need to teach you Hebrew. In the same way that like a, a, a Jewish kid today might, before his uh, bar mitzvah, he he's, he may speak German, he may speak English, he may speak Spanish, whatever. Now he's got to be taught Hebrew so that on his, the day of his bar mitzvah, they can give him a section of Hebrew and he can read it and he can write it.
1: I can certainly imagine that the degradation that happened probably over time so that
0: the only person that could translate it would be that's right. She says over time it's just this degradation of all that. So when when Moroni is saying wow there are imperfections in the record and I sure hope we don't get blasted for this by the Gentiles. Uh, There are imperfections in the records and that's why it was going to take inspired prophetic understanding of the Book of Mormon and ultimately a pearl of great price and doctrine and covenants to help clarify what finally did come to us through the Book of Mormon. Yeah.
1: So the imperfections though in the record uh, that were caused by the Hebrew lack of Hebrew those would have all been compensated for by the fact that the book was translated through a catalytic manner rather than through a, a literal manner.
0: Yeah, and, in other words if the, the the so many people in the church got led astray by a very simple attempt by the church to show the primary kids a picture showing the translation. And there's there's Joseph with his finger on the plates, and Oliver with nothing in between he and Oliver, and Joseph is going, I Nephi, and Oliver going, I Nephi. You know, we get that primary picture that conveyed the idea was incredibly inaccurate. And so when the idea of the head and the hat came up, they're like, What? The church changed. Well, no, we've always known it was a head and hat. It's just that we had that primary picture that we came to love. Okay? Alright, so nobody knows our language now, so just to give you an idea of some of the learning of the Jews, the style of the Jews, Nephi is going to then say, um, I Nephi having been born of goodly parents, Uh, by the way we had uh, for state conference we had uh, Elder Lynn Robbins here. And he is, and, and you, you may not know it, but when, you, when you're looking at the church app and you're doing the scriptures and you underline something in the scriptures, that's recorded. The church knows what scriptures are being underlined. So, so he's able, because he sits on the scripture board, He was able to say, let me tell you what the most uh, read, most underlined scriptures are consistently. And year in and year out, what scripture is you know you've looked over the last 20 years th- this 1st Nephi one is probably the most popular but not always a number of years what did he say one was Moses one thirty nine. I think was last year or two years ago and the other one before that was 2nd Nephi 30 and Helaman 5.12 we, we believe in Christ, we teach our say, but consistently you got to say First Nephi 1.1 will always be probably in the top three or four.
1: I guess it would be interesting if they also separated that out so that uh, when they get uh, the same scripture underlined 650 times on the same hour, that those aren't counted at, in the same way because obviously yeah. someone giving a lecture or something like that told people hey here's a scripture you guys you, you
0: should mark this down I Well, leave that
1: back some of those
0: scriptures were also the for the young women, women yes yeah it's being used somewhere in the church well then the other one too is that if I'm going to underline first Nephi 1-1 I won't do it again right that's what he said he so, so the same person isn't underlying the same thing over and over so uh, it is interesting though that you watch these, these prominent themes show up uh, in the book of Mormon now, wa- now watch how the, the learning of the Jews shows up in 1 Nephi 1.1. Uh, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. This is wordplay. Do you know what Nephi means in Egyptian? Good. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. That would be like saying, uh, I, chubby, was born of weighty parents. <laughs> 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 right so it's kind of a wordplay you know uh, these goodly parents produce good Nephi is is what that's saying okay now he's gonna say now ha- having seen many afflictions in the course of my days nevertheless having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God okay now what he's gonna do this is very very Hebrew in the sense that if you're going to emphasize a point, you can do it in in parallelism, which is you're gonna say the same thing twice. Oftentimes when you're reading the Book of Mormon, it's like, haven't we said this already? It just seems like a long way to say this. No, it's because it's done poetically. And sometimes it's just straight parallelism, it's just gonna say it, and then say it again with different words. Sometimes you're gonna say it and then reverse it, and this is reverse parallelism or chiasmus. Meaning that this one, I've seen many afflictions in the course of my days, and the mysteries of God are the same idea. Nested inside there are the next two ideas next to each other. Nevertheless, having been favored of the Lord in all my days, having had a great knowledge of his goodness. Same idea, same idea here. Okay? And we, we, maybe when we get to Alma 29 where the entire chapter was written in chiasmus, maybe we'll spend a little bit more time on that. But I, but I need you to, but here's the, here's the idea. Highly favored, th- these, two, I, these two phrases should be, mean the same thing. So having been highly favored of the Lord means what? Having had a great knowledge. Okay? To be highly favored is to have a great knowledge. To have seen many afflictions is to mean what? Well, that's a mystery. That, my, that mystery and afflictions are the same. He, he's, he's putting them on the same plane with each other.
1: So when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, the Lord cursed the ground and he, and he uh, cursed uh, the serpent. And he said that thorns and noxious weeds and things like that were going to come about. So those are afflictions, and God did that for the benefit of mankind.
0: Yes. yes. And so that what it looks like to us as a mystery is actually God loving us and taking care of us. It just looks to us like an affliction. What? is what He was saying. Because um, we're going to see some more of this, because I want you, to see, it's going to really jump out at you with Lehi. Nephi is setting it up in, his, in the first verse. We're going to talk about af- how afflictions are are the mysteries of God and, and God loving us. Okay. Turn off my telemarketer. When you get close to sixty-five, the calls start coming, baby. <laughs> They're after you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Does that that's, sort of make sense, or does that look cloudy? Is that a mystery, or
1: that affliction
0: is cloudy? Okay. Hold on to that idea. Uh, okay, so let's keep going. So first Nephi. It came to pass that uh, as he, Lehi, prayed unto the Lord, there came a pillar of fire and dwelt upon the rock before him, and he saw and heard much. Uh, now, I'm going to apologize right now. We're going to be scripture-heavy today. I know we were history-heavy last time. We're going to be scripture-heavy today, so I would... I would break out the scriptures best you can, uh, but I've tried to put it all up here so you don't have to necessarily do it. Yes, ma'am? I just wanted to to mention um, that Nephi's generation here is going to be the last generation that knows how this is done. Yeah, that's true. The way that the the Hebrew writing and things like that. Yeah, that's why when we get to, especially like when you start with in Mosiah, because uh, c- she's just saying this is the last generation, because uh, Jacob isn't even going to be born yet when they leave Jerusalem. So it's really going to be Nephi and Lehi that have this knowledge. When we get to Mosiah, and it really is the abridgment of Mormon. Now all of the a lot of the Hebraic kind of things is gone, and but they've got to still know. Is- they've still got to know. Uh, Egyptian, but they're going to write it more in their language. Okay, so Lehi then is going to, he's praying unto the Lord, he sees the things going on, there, there are pre, uh, prophets that are preaching, he sees a pillar of fire and dwelt upon a rock, and he saw and heard much because of the things that he saw, he did quake and tremble, it scared him. He's scared about what's going to happen to Jerusalem. <laughs> And by the way anybody living there in jerusalem as we were talking about last time it's not hard to see you know that there's problems because at the time that he's writing remember the assyrians have already dropped in um and they've captured the the ten tribes they've taken them they're gone and they're parked up here while they're in fighting in their leadership They're parked and they're they're gonna go down now into Judah. Then they get conquered by the Babylonians before they can do it. So the Babylonians are cut. Somebody's gonna conquer Jerusalem soon. (laughs) Don't know if it's the Babylonians or the Assyrians. Israel is already gone, Judah's next. So yeah, they know bad stuff is coming. How do you keep from being conquered? How do you make sure you don't get steamrolled by these bullies on the block? Because however much you may think about yourself, you're in trouble. Yeah. Why were they always people trying to conquer them? Because that's what you did. She <laughs> says, Why were they always trying to conquer? Because if I'm if I'm Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, or uh, Caesar, or uh, Philip, or you know, although I'm always looking to conquer more land, that's how I grow my kingdoms. And so anytime you get whether it was the Egyptians or whether it was whoever they would start to sending armies out and start conquering lands and they're already doing that and the problem for Israel and Judah is that they were just kind of right along the side of the road there in between the big guys on the block and they would come blowing through there to conquer each other and Israel would end up being a vassal of of whoever that was so he saw it coming okay now He then, sometimes we don't realize, then he's going to have a vision. Where's his vision going to be? Well, he he wakes up from this one. It came to pass that he then returns home to his own house in Jerusalem. And he cast himself upon his bed, being overcome with the spirit and the things that he had seen. Now, let me ask you something. Um, if If this is the plates... And, and space is really limited. Why would you take time to try and say something about exactly where he was when he got the vision? Couldn't you have just truncated this and said, he saw a vision, pillar of fire came down, and then he saw God, and all those kind of things. Why is he going to take the time to say, hey, he came home and cast himself upon his bed? A little odd, isn't it? if you're reading straight through you'll go right by this if you'll stop and go is there some other places in which bed is described then you'll catch it okay so if you look it up and remember who is the scriptures for uh, Israel at that time it's whatever scrolls they had whatever scrolls they had access to we don't know how much they had we don't know everything that was on the brass plates. But if they did have scriptures, what, what would they be reading? Well, we don't know how much of the first five books they had. and it might, But it, you would think it might be some of those. Psalms. And maybe Isaiah, depending on how much of Isaiah is available. The Essenes out in Qumran were really trying to make copies of, of Isaiah. But we look at Proverbs and Psalms as these are nice poems. You ask Paul who they are, and the Psalms were, were prophetic. To Paul, the Psalms were prophetic. And they were to these guys as well. So, isn't it interesting that if we're going to talk about... Nephi is going to have this great... Or Lehi is going to have this great vision on his bed. Psalm 4 Hear me when I call... Okay? Uh, th- that, that harkens back, to probably information you don't really want to know. Uh, that's, that is, harkens back to what we call the Shema, the Shema. It's the, it's the daily prayer. Uh, Shema Israel, Shema Adonai, Adonai Ahad, which is, Hear me, O God, thou art one God. Okay? That hear me is huge. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. What's Lehi doing? He's in distress. He's worried. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy, hear my prayer. Uh, uh, Shema Yisrael. Okay? But know that the Lord has set him apart that is godly unto himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with with your own heart where? Upon your bed. That would mean something to Nephi, and I think it would mean something to Lehi. That that's where these great visions can come, is on your bed. Yeah.
1: Well, it also said when you look up overcome, that when you're overcome by a vision, you're tired or you're worn out, your, your body is just like been through this.
0: Yeah. Down. and you lay down to try and recover, right? Joseph Smith said after the, the first vision that he was, it, he, he thinks he laid there for many hours, mm-hmm. he was just exhausted, right?
1: That's what this
0: overcomes, yeah, right? So that makes sense.
1: So, in, in the first two verses up there, one and three, I guess, it mentions for the Lord to hear you three times.
0: Oh, it does, doesn't it? I, I'm just trying uh, to. Think
1: where was I, when
0: I? Yeah, what exactly would that three time thing yeah, exactly, exactly offer your sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord so the, the idea of being on the bed means this is where you may go because what you're, you're being overcome but also this is where great visions are going to happen Okay. alright, questions on that so far? All right. And thus being overcome with the Spirit, he was carried away in a vision, even that he saw the heavens open. What does he see? He thought he saw God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numerous concourses of angels, in their attitude of singing and praising their God. Wow. That's quite a that's quite a vision. Is that unique to Lehi? No. Specifically, this this throne of God surrounded by numerous concourse angels, this is a very well-known idea. And when you start looking at it, Jeremiah uh, is gonna say, for who has stood in the council of the Lord? This, and this is council, and you need to understand council both ways. Council, receiving council. This is council like a quorum of the 12, council. This is a council, a high council. Okay. For who has stood in the council of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Okay, Amos. Here's how we know about this. This one we quote as missionaries, right? For surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophet. That word secret that Amos uses... Is, is not just he's telling, he's telling, he's whispering private things. The word secret is sowed. The, the, the word is sowed, uh, and, and it means specifically what, what we're talking about here. I'll, I'll give you a better idea of it. Sowed is a company of persons, implication, intimacy, consultation, counsel, uh, assembly. It's, it's, it, you're being, picture for instance, that if you were struggling with something and the Lord said, you know what, let me show you something. And you got taken to Salt Lake and you got to sit in on a, a meeting of the Quorum of the Twelve. Now, if you're sitting in that meeting of the Quorum of the Twelve, You would not just know the answer, what they're going to do to solve a problem, but what else would you know? What the problem was. What the problem was, what they saw as the problem, the thinking behind how we're going to solve it,
1: how it feels.
0: How it feels. So it's not just give me the bottom line, this is let you listen to the deliberations of how we got to solve that problem. That's what a sod is. It's the counsel of God, counsel both ways. Does that make sense? So this is significant that Lehi, who's struggling about what's going to happen to his family and to his people and to his city and to Israel and Judah at large, he's being brought into the counsel, the sod of God, to find out how God's going to solve this problem so this is really huge and that word sowed is all over the Old Testament in specific places
1: uh, in Jeremiah 18 it says who hath marked his word I'm
0: Yeah. Hearing. does mark
1: his word mean that he wrote it down or would it today mean that we underline the scripture
0: I think that would be a good way of putting it yeah he's going to mark it so that we're going to you're going to remember it you, you underline something so that you'll go back and your eyes will see it um, we're going to talk about another mark in a second, okay? All right, so Neph- uh, Lehi is being brought into this council so that he knows how the Lord is going to handle the afflictions of his people. Now, this is why this gets to be so much fun. Psalm 82, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Psalm 82, Okay? How long will ye judge unjustly those that have received this counsel? Then he's going to say specifically, here's what you need to do. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Those that have participated in this sowed, in this counsel. Okay, now, put your seatbelts on, just a sec. You don't, so you don't get kind of completely blown away by this uh, one of the things that uh, when uh, uh, dr. Margaret Barker did some translation of all of this uh, she did she did her translation of, of uh, Jacob or of Psalm 82 uh, and and BYU professor a- Andrew Skinner uh, Margaret is a Methodist Church of England Church, Church of England Episcopalian, Episcopalian. Yes. So somewhere in between Methodist and Church of England gets us Episcopalian. Yes, she's Episcopalian. So this is so this is a this is a non-members translation of Psalm eighty-two. But be your professor said, yeah. Yes, ma'am.
1: If they want to see her. She's on the video
0: Temples Through Time. It's like six minutes. Elder Bednar starts. Yeah. We kind of like Margaret Barker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your seat belt's on? Here's how she translates this. Elohim has taken his place in the council of El. In the midst of Elohim, he gives judgment. You are all Elohim, and the sons of El, the Most High. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) How's that for a little depth? Elohim is a plural, El is God. Elohim, in, in most cases, Hem is a is a plural ending that you put on something, so uh, if, uh, I might say to you, uh, h- "Hello, my friend." Uh, uh, shalom tal- talmid, you, my friend. Shalom talmid. If if all of you is a friend, shalom talmideen, meaning friend. I have lots of friends. Okay, it's plural. Okay, so he says you are all godlike and sons of El, the Most High, who are gonna participate in this congregation, participate in the Sod, and learn the counsels of God by sitting in the counsels of God, okay? Josiah missed some scriptures. Yeah, well, hold on to Josiah. We're going right to Josiah. You're thinking in the right direction, okay? He missed them. I know. No, they would have one of the nice things about Psalms and Isaiah and stuff like that because they're in symbolism It's a little harder to eliminate them. There you, go. you just they kind of slide by some of the editors <laughs> they, they might be trying to take out the plain and precious stuff. Okay uh, You're all Elohim and the sons of L. Okay, and so in that moment Lehi is finding out that he is also one of the sons of El uh, and he's, he's learning the, uh, the mind of God, not just the directions or commandment of God. Okay, that, that becomes really important, okay? I remember sitting, uh, and, and President, you, you'd understand this, you know, sitting in high council, and, listen, and try, the stake is trying to make a decision about what to do about a certain problem, and we had the whole discussion, and then he kind of goes round and round, and finally then, state president makes a decision, here's now what we're going to do to solve this problem. Well, it's helpful to not just know the final decision, but to also know the discussion and the background and the context that went into that. Now you're more able to defend it and understand it and, uh, and be able to endorse the final decision, okay? Yeah, if Elohim is plural in the first line, why doesn't it say Elohim has taken their place in the conflict? Yeah. It's a little bit awkward, isn't it? Yes. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, so so in a sense, you would think it'd be Elohim has taken their place in the Council of El. But I think also Elohim, we have tended to call him th- by that name, even though it can work as plural, work as singular. But yeah, it's, I was a little confused by that too, Jim. Uh, okay, enough on that? All right. So, along with that, so he's going to go into the sowed, and and what happens in that sowed? He's going to see God, he sees twelve, and what do the twelve do? Ah. They came down and went forth upon the face of the earth, and the first came, kind of the head of the council, stood before my father and gave unto him a what? a Book okay. Oh, well, it'd be helpful to have the book. Okay, maybe it's like the minutes of the meeting. Um, Gave unto him a book and bade him that he should read. Ah, now and he read, saying, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I have seen thine abominations. Yea, many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem that he should be destroyed that they should be destroyed. Well, this isn't great reading. This is like a horrible tragedy. I thought they might be destroyed. They keep messing with Egypt. They're not following through. They could, and, and the Babylonians have just conquered the Assyrians, they're coming. I thought that might happen, okay? That would be really concerning. Now, along with that then, now let's talk about Josiah. So. Hold on to that for just a second. So he's reading a book that says Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. We'll go back to 2 Kings. And last week we were talking about King Josiah and the purge of Josiah and how he's trying to purge out. Why is he so worried and why is he being so draconian about eliminating anything that might not keep the power in the temple and all that? Well, here's one of the reasons. And I just found this fascinating. Uh, Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Okay, great. And the scribe showed it to the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered unto me a book. And Shaphan read it unto the king. And it came to pass that the king heard the words of the law, book of the law, and he did what? He rented out his clothes. No, no, he rented his clothes. (laughs) Meaning, oh my gosh, and he starts to grieve, and he's gonna start telling. Okay, now, what to do? If you're, if you're Josiah and you just read the book of the law and you're realizing we're not doing any of this stuff <laughs> and the Babylonians are knocking on the door oh my gosh what do we get? what's next notice he's not sitting in a sod he has no idea what God has in mind so what's he going to do oh it gets good there, there's such a great story here such a, I have no idea what it is <laughs> uh, so so here, here's, so keep that in mind. So, so keep in mind, what will Josiah do? Back to Lehi. came to pass when my father had read the great and marvelous things that he did, exclaim unto the Lord, oh my gosh, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. But what does he say? Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens. I've seen it. It's, it's amazing. And thy power and goodness and mercy are over the inhabitants of the earth. With a city that's about to be destroyed. You'd think he'd be freaking out. And his response is, after being in the Sod, after seeing the council, hey, God is great, he's wonderful. Why? Why would he say that? It's just that tribulation thing we were talking about, why would the tribulations result in mysteries? that Nephi was talking about. Well, here's what this says. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. Why? After this manner was the language of my father, he's read this horrible book. He knows what's about to happen. And he's praising his God for his soul did rejoice and his whole heart was filled because of the things he had seen which the Lord had shown him. Does that still not make sense to anybody? This, isn't, this, is, this is horrible. But he's rejoicing. Ah, well, there's something missing here. Okay, back, back to Josiah. Am I building this well enough? <laughs> It's like having you hang on for certain episodes of a show that you're watching on Netflix and it ends on cliffhangers.
1: God is not a week.
0: Here's what Josiah said. Lehi gets a, gets a trip to see the, the throne of God and he goes into the south. Here's what Josiah gets. Josiah says to the people, to his, his uh, scribes, Go ye, inquired of the Lord for me, for this people, for all Judah, concerning the words of the book. For great is its wrath, the Lord has kindled it against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words to do according to what's written to us. Okay, so let's get some answers here. What are we going to do? Oh, this is great. So Hilkiah the priest went unto Holdah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, keeper of the wardrobe, and they communed with her. Apparently, the prophetess at the time is married to the wardrobe guy. What are we going to do? Right, go, go talk to the wife of the wardrobe guy and see what she says.
1: Well, he just rent his clothes. He needs. New he clothes. rent his
0: clothes. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a new wardrobe. Yes, that's probably. Yeah, Josiah, your clothes are all ripped up. Go get something new. That's really good. The keeper of the wardrobe, they communed with her. What does she go? She says, and thus saith the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil on this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me, have burned incense and other gods that you might provoke me to anger with all the works of his hands. Wherefore, my wrath shall not be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. We talked to the prophetess. What would she say? Uh, we're toast. We're toast. It, it's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. Dang. <laughs> Which is really, okay, now we're going to come back and talk to, did you talk to her? Yeah, we found her. Good. What would she say? Uh, well her husband's got some clothes for you but <laughs> but on top of that we're toast so, the, so what Josiah did the best he could do I suppose is say let's really double down on all of the laws we're going to throw out any other dreams, visions any other places of worship we've got to double down it's got to be in the temple uh, the, the same thing you know we're just going to they just kind of react in all of that okay now But now, why is Lehi rejoicing while Josiah, just about 50 years earlier, was freaking out? Well, the answer's here. This is what happens when you get light. It came to pass that the Jews, when he went out to preach, they did mock him because of the things which he had testified, for he truly testified of their wickedness and their abominations. He testified that the things which he saw and heard, also the things which he read in the book. Now, let me pause for just a second. Have we ever, those of us here, have you ever sat in a sode Where did you sit in a sode Elaine? Recently,
1: in my own
0: home. Well, it could be in your home, but the the so the the, the, I have the, council the council meeting, the Keep going. Where where God has been there, you see God on his throne, and we're all there. We were all there, the pre existence. The preexistence. The pre-existence was the ultimate sow that started the the whole process. We have all sat in this council of God and seen God on his throne and heard the discussion. What should we do that these can become like us? So they can become one of us? What can we do? Oh, well, we're gonna create an earth. We're gonna create, oh, okay, that'll work. And then what happens if we fall? Because we're gonna have to have blindness so that we're actually going to struggle and learn and grow. What are we going to do? I was thinking of Elder Robin yesterday. I, I thought the session was almost like a sow. He was pretty frank on a couple of things. Elder Robin was pretty, yeah. And he's, telling, he's just laying it out there. Okay? But think about what did we hear in the pre-existence? How is God going to solve the problem of getting these children back to him? Yes. So what does he say to them? He manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah and the redemption of the world. No matter how bad the tribulation